Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and coming to you from the 2022 Just for Last Moon Tower Comedy Festival. My sometime co-host, Miss Purrington, is resting at home. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at ComedyWham or on our ComedyWham Facebook page. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our new column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy. Have you checked out our events page for live shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW? If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click Submit a Show to complete the short survey. And if you want, you can give us a review of the survey and we'll share it and promo your show on Instagram. Now let's get back to our podcast. With over 200 interviews since its launch in 2016, the podcast is your anthropology lesson in Austin comedy, bringing you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the comedy world as fascinating offstage as it is onstage. Please rate and review us. Today, we are recording live on location at the Driscoll Hotel. Thank you very much to Omnipop for letting us chat with our guest. Uh, she's from Canada, and she has recently settled down in Los Angeles. Probably better weather. Uh, this is her first time at Moon Tower Comedy Festival, and we're excited to have her. She is a three-time runner-up for Canada's SiriusXM Top Comic, and her debut album, you're going to know her name by the end of my, my introduction. I usually don't reveal the name, but you're going to know. Uh, her debut album, Little Bit of Buttle, is out now. It's a, It was a 2020 Juno Comedy Album of the Year winner. Uh, she has recorded her first special with Crave last year, and we hope to see it released this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've already... Uh, uh, caught one of her shows and she is absolutely fantastic. Oh, and I forgot the thing that was going to reveal the full name. Uh, her podcast, Obsessed with Sophie Buttle, tackles obsessions as far ranging as Beyonce and Vinegar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you already know her name, so let's get on with it. Comedy Man presents our guest, Sophie Buttle. Hello. Hello. What a wonderful long intro. That was great. Do you have any? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So, how did you learn French? I was born in Belgium. Oh, you were born in Belgium? Yes. That's so cool. And uh, how do you like living here? It honestly feels like a kind of European city. Like, I feel like there's all the little shops and it's very walkable. Very compared walkable. To, compared yeah. to other American cities, I found yeah. this is, like, feels very European. Yeah. Well, ex- mm, I don't know. Because if you don't live in the center of, of then you town, have to drive. you have to drive. So okay. there's, there's not the great infrastructure of public transportation and trains. Okay. Like At least downtown, though, it's a pretty big area that you can walk around yeah. in, which is great for festivals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Moon Tower does it right. Like, they pick good venues within yeah. walking and uberable distances. Yes, totally. so. <laughs> <laughs> and how long have you lived here for? Uh, in Austin, I think this is my 15th year, but I went to school here okay, way cool. long ago and left, ended up going the wrong direction to Chicago and then oh. finding a way to come down. Do you have here. a comedy background? It feels like you're going around comedy cities. No, I don't. Uh, I... Uh, Watching comedy ten years ago was my my therapy divorce oh. from a divorce. So oh. <laughs> I really jumped into comedy. Uh, That's great. After that, I I'd been a fan of comedy. Like I I'm a religious SNL mm-hmm. uh, junkie, and so I've and I've gone to see plenty of, of comedy. But it wasn't until ten years ago that I really like dug in. And this podcast started six years ago. Okay, cool. Um, I was just start, I just started watching the new Kardashian show. This is related to what you said, I promise. I swear. And um, they, they're like masters of marketing, obviously, the Kardashian family. And this first episode of their new Keeping Up with Kardashian show um, is like leading up to Kim Kardashian hosting SNL, oh, which is wow. like what a great way to kick off a season. Like knowing knowing how she ends up with Pete Davidson and stuff uh-huh. too. Like yeah. just just what a hook. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she did pretty good. Did you watch yeah. her? <laughs> for who she is, for, for who, who she, she is. is sure. I think I think it could have gone a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> I choose to, you know, we just watched Lizzo's. Yeah. So she How was, was Lizzo? She yeah. was great. She was really, She's funny. Yeah. Yeah. She was very good. Has, has Doja Cat done it yet? I don't. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm of an age where the musical acts 
Well, don't. I feel like she would be. She would do both. Yeah. She's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know enough about her. She's great. You would like uh, her other than that's an awesome name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a cat person. So. <laughs> you have cats. I have one. What? Miss Purrington. That's she. Oh, Miss Purrington. Usually, with my local interviews. Uh, comics that are based here in Austin mm-hmm. I record at my house oh. and from time to time she wants to be involved so you can sometimes hear her you know, wailing in the background <laughs> so I had to credit her <laughs> very cool uh, Sophie I have an official icebreaker question for oh, you okay, great. and that is one word to describe your past one word to describe my past that's a great question mm, like my past from right now well, it's not going to be a good answer, but but comedy. Like, I've been doing stand-up since I was 15, so any past before that was just kind of childhood. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been I've just been doing comedy my whole life, really. But I have a 15-year-old, so to imagine him starting, yeah. that's just... Yeah, and I, I, started, I started in Ottawa when I was 15, and... My mom and I started going to the comedy club in Ottawa when I was 14, and we would go every week uh-huh. just to watch the amateur night as like a mother-daughter date thing. Aww. Yeah, it was really cute, and we really liked it. Um, and we went every week for probably about a year. And because my mom's like an artist, she's cool. So when we'd go together, we would drink. We would each have like a martini or something. And um, a lot of the people that work at comedy clubs are stand-ups, obviously. So from becoming sort of regulars at the club, I got to know a lot of the comics around town. But I got to know everybody under the context that I was old enough to drink. So when I started actually doing stand-up, everyone thought I was older. And I sort of kept the lie going for a while. Mm -hmm. Just so that I could go into all the clubs and stuff. But also it was like, I didn't want to get in trouble. And... So I, for the first year of doing stand-up, I was like pretend I was doing like this weird adult character on stage where I was like pretending to be like 20, and you know had all these jokes about sex and was like very much not having sex. So it made no sense. <laughs> um, and yeah, I would if you know if I were to do it again, I would just do it. You know, I'd write jokes about high school and stuff. Because yeah. <laughs> my boyfriend actually. He, who I've been together with forever. He started when he was 15 as well in Hamilton, which is like a nearby town. And oh he started and just did jokes about being 15 and stuff. Uh-huh. And he had a much more fun time at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that is something that you hear a lot, or I hear a lot, is if you're true to yourself. Totally. You gotta that write comes what you know. Through. Yeah, yeah. And it really reads if you're not if you're not being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's obvious that definitely the first year of stand-up was a write-off. It was bad. Just trying to do some weird, weird stuff. So when you were going with your mom, that was just it was just mother-daughter, yes. half-fun dates. Yeah. When did it become, I don't know, I, I want to go do this? I think pretty quickly. Like, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, like, nothing's really scary. Yeah. And we're watching Amateur Night. It's not like we were watching like a Seinfeld or whatever so half the people would bomb and I was like I could bomb like that and then you know you see nothing happens it's not it's not a nightmare so many bombs and um, also when you're 15 it doesn't really matter if you're good or not people are just excited that you're doing anything Mm -hmm. so the pressure was pretty low yeah and I had been doing a lot of writing and acting stuff before that and neither of those felt quite right for me so when I found stand-up, it was like a good combination of, of performing and writing. Yeah. Was your mom anxious about you doing it? Um, if she if she was, I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> she seemed pretty Both my parents are artists, so I think they were just glad that I was found something yeah. um, in my own in my own field in, mm-hmm. in art. Like my mom's a visual artist and my dad's a musician. Okay. So they they both like my mom had me in drawing classes and my dad, you know, put me in saxophone lessons, but. Neither of those really took off. <laughs> they just wanted someone creative around yeah. to bounce stuff off of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your first joke? I do remember my first joke. It was like, it, the thing is, it's sort of the same like brand that I have now, which is funny, but it's just bad. Like I, I had a joke that was like, I started comedy to end the stereotypes about blonde women. 
And I'm going to do that as soon as I figure out exactly what stereotype means. <laughs> That's my first joke ever. And it's like, it's probably a meme or something. Like, it's like so, it's, it's hacky. But that's, that's how I started my comedy career. Yeah. yeah. And how did you feel that first time that you... I feel great. Well, I was performing at a club that's like famously good. Oh. So, in, so good in fact that there's like, there's rumors that festivals won't accept tapes from this club because everybody does so well that it's not an accurate read of of their comedy and I didn't know that then so I just had my first set and did great and was like oh I should be a professional comedian and immediately I'm a star Mm -hmm. (laughs) but everybody did the same (laughs) but it didn't take much for me I was like got it and when you're you're in school like I know my kids schedule it's intense he's got activities he's doing homework yeah how do you balance this thing that requires I mean if it's anything like the states it requires you to be up late at night it was very difficult because I was also playing pretty high level soccer at the time and um, it was like three or four practices a week which were obviously in the evenings Mm -hmm. and so sometimes I would go to a show and ask to go up late and just be like drenched in sweat from soccer (laughs) and eventually I quit soccer because comedy was 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 better for me than soccer and like you know I'd have I'd have a show Friday night and then wouldn't want to get up for practice Saturday morning and it it was it's just it, it was too hard to do both but Luckily, I was able to skip a lot of school just without telling anybody, just to recover from my double life. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a, I'm the old lady question mm-hmm. that you're 15, mm-hmm. you're, you're giving this a try. How did you know that it was better? That comedy was better than you know sticking to a sport and, and high school yeah I, I mean I think it's the same with when you find like a partner or a best friend or something when you know you know yeah. it just felt it just felt right and um, for me it's like I think for anybody it's if you're good at something a little bit at the yeah. beginning it's easier to to work on doing it if you yeah. feel like you're good for your age or you're good for your skill level then you feel a little ahead of the curve and it feels it feels like something that you should pursue like I saw this thing that I I don't remember if it was like billionaires to talk about this or CEOs or something I think it was CEOs they say that most people have strengths and weaknesses obviously and try to improve their weaknesses to become a more well-rounded person but very successful people only put all their energy into improving the thing that they're already very good or exceptional at so that they become very very good at that thing and become the top of their field and then obviously you know CEOs they're mostly bad people I assume so they don't become well-rounded and they don't improve socially or whatever you know their family life or whatever the rest of their life is lacking but I thought that that was good advice I guess still try to improve on my weaknesses obviously but I always really liked that as like a because it's true, like the intuitive thing would be to try to balance your life and become better at the things yeah. that you're not good at. But um, it feels like a life hack, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. How were you received as, you know, this really young person starting out in comedy? Well, I did look, I looked a bit older and I told everybody that I was older. So I felt, I felt like I was just treated like any other 20-year-old open micer. Yeah. There were... I started 12 years ago, so there was really not a lot of women doing it. When I started, there were one or two others in the city that I started in who were sort of doing it peripherally, like weren't around all the time. Yeah. So it was mostly just me and, like, me and men. <laughs> um, and it's a bit different now. Like, men, men kind of... Whether or not they believe it or politically where they stand or whatever, they're aware that it's harder to be a woman now. Whereas back then, I think they thought it was easier, so they had kind of a chip on their shoulder about me doing it. And I think there was a bit of an attitude of like, that I was getting moved up too quickly because I was a girl and they wanted like a token girl. That was still sort of the mentality. But this was also before kind of the big comedy renaissance like from from Netflix specials and from like YouTube stand-up was really different when I started than it is now like like now it feels like it's part of kind of the general vernacular of society like people know what a stand-up special is whereas when I started I, I it was really like especially in Canada like 
nobody knew any Canadian comedians' names. There was no Canadian comedians that were household names. Like, there were some bigger people, like a Rick Morse or whatever, who had their own TV shows. Yeah. But there weren't specific stand-ups that anybody was really aware of. And so the Canadian comedy scene was like, you really had to do it just because you loved it. There wasn't like a clear future in it. And this is not to say there's not a ton of incredible comedians in Canada. It just wasn't... People didn't think about stand-up the same way they do now. Like, now there's, like... It's on TikTok, too. Like, I, I think that, like, teenagers know stand-up comics that they like now. And I remember, like, the only one that I knew who, who was American wasn't even Canadian. But when I first started, the only stand-up I was aware of was Dane Cook. Because he had a couple specials that would play on, like, Much Music or, um, like, the music TV yeah. channel once in a while. And... Yeah, Dane Cook kind of randomly popularized stand-up for young people. And I know there's, like, a lot of stuff around Dane Cook and, um, you know, dating teenagers or whatever. I don't know what he's up to now. (laughs) But, you know, he's always appealed to teenagers, right? (laughs) Um, And, like, for me and my... I had two stepbrothers at the time, and I remember we would watch Dane Cook and we would laugh so hard. And I think that... I've never attributed anything to Dane Cook before. It's just this random that I'm going on this huge <laughs> Dane Cook, this huge Dane Cook tangent. But um, I, yeah, he made he made it seem cool, yeah. you know. So, so when I started, I thought it was cool, and then I kind of got into it, and I was like, oh, it's not as cool as I thought it was, but I still love it. <laughs> How long did it take for you to start getting some momentum for getting booked on shows? So I was getting booked quite a lot when I first started, just on just on regular unpaid shows uh-huh. in Ottawa. And then when I turned eighteen, I moved to Vancouver to go to fashion school. And I dropped out immediately. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I was there for one second. <laughs> but the, when I moved to Vancouver is when I started getting paid work and started becoming mm-hmm. a professional comic because I also nobody there really thought of me as a teenager. Like I was, I was eighteen, but because um, I didn't have the whole pretending to be older. Um, event yeah. in Vancouver, everybody took me a little bit more seriously, and I was able to grow my career in a more normal, at a more normal pace once I moved. But I, I do feel like a lot of the people that know me from when I started still kind of treat me like a teenager and think of me as a teenager. But I'm a, I'm a very old woman now. I'm mature. <laughs> <laughs> but you look so young. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to go back to this. this uh, fact you you went to fashion school but at 15 you wanted to try stand-up and you stuck with it for three years why did you want to even try Uh, well my grades were not very good Uh and my family really wanted me to go to school and it was between film school and fashion school because I've always been very into fashion and I've always been very into film Mm -hmm. and I missed the deadline for film school Um, so fashion school no problem And I knew that I wanted to go to Vancouver, too, because my dad lives in Vancouver. I grew up mostly with my mom, and I would do, like, summers with my dad in Vancouver. And so I thought that would be a nice opportunity to go see him for what I thought was going to be, like, a year of fashion school. But just I dropped out immediately, but I did stay stay in the city. And I really loved the comedy scene in Vancouver. I still do. I think think that it's... I'm sure everybody says this about the scene they started, they they love, but it's really comparable to any of the best scenes in the world. Like, the writing... In like current the current Vancouver scene that I left, it's it's so strong and there's so many good shows and like there's a real comedy literacy in the city. So like when audiences go out, they really know what stand up is. Yeah. They're they're not like confused and they understand the pacing and they understand nuance and mm-hmm. and it really makes a huge difference for comics. And it's also a smaller scene than Toronto or New York or LA or whatever. So everybody ends up doing the same good shows like if you're a really good open micer you move up to the same shows that all the best headliners do regularly yeah so it improves those people so much because they have to follow like the best headliner in the city on any given night and you know you're seeing how all the good people are building material and working on stuff and changing stuff and i think that that kind of melting pot is the wrong word but because everybody's all meshed in together it improves all of the the, the newer people yeah. and then it also keeps like the the headliners fresh too like because I think in a lot of scenes it's easy to separate the kind of big working headliners from the newer people mm-hmm. and you know just doing their own circuits but I think I think doing shows all together really improves everybody yeah. 
I want to ask a question. We're going to nerd out about comedy mm. and Canadian comedy in particular. Yeah. Somebody that I talked to that uh, is from Canada can't remember who it was because <laughs> now every time I meet a Canadian comic I ask this question so it's all blurred together yeah. the observation was made that Canadian audiences are really difficult on comics because if you aren't quick paced they will just start talking like they need you to be going non-stop before you say anything that made it interesting to watch your set because you are very slow and methodical. Mm-hmm. There's another comic that I really like that is also a very slow and methodical comic. So it's like, well, they work. Mm-hmm. So I just I want to hear your your take on me. Um, yeah, I, I think I I think I would disagree with that. Like maybe maybe for bar bar gigs and road gigs and like and you know a a show where people want to be chatting anyway and are yeah. probably going to chat even if you're really fast-paced. Yeah. Like, of course, people are going to be talking and not not a comedy club. Yeah. But I really... I find that audiences like a like a slower pace in Canada. Um, it's like, where, you know, where are you going to go? Just sit and listen. Like, this, yeah. you're already here. <laughs> um, I, I do try to be kind of quicker at the beginning of my set. Yeah. And I get some laughs, like just to establish that there's something coming yeah but I have had I definitely have had like showcase sets or shorter sets since I've moved to America where I just pick my favorite joke that I'm going to do for the showcase set but because it's so short there's like like not very many jokes in it and I'm doing this weird slow thing and then I'm like oh I should I I kind of forgot how to showcase since I've come here and it's like (laughs) you really do have to be punchier if you're doing something if you're doing like a really short set but that's you know learning for you know sometimes you forget yeah. <laughs> I, I think it happens to a lot of people that are um, like on the road a lot doing 45 minutes doing an hour you forget that a five minute set's got to be kind of rapid fire yeah yeah and the, so many comics have commented on that at the couple of shows that I've seen where it's a lot of people like the Canadian yeah. show it was four comics whereas some of the showcases have like ten comics so mm-hmm. you can't you can't do more than seven or eight minutes. Totally. And some people are like, "Hey, this is fun," <laughs> and others are like, "I don't know how to pick just <laughs> my seven eight. I know. I'm used to an hour." I know you're still saying hello at seven or eight. Couldn't help but not just laugh at the thought of a Canadian hello. You know, hello. I know there's been a couple of things that I forgot. Like I, I, there was something that somebody just pointed out to me that Americans say mom, like instead of mom. Oh yes. But it, but it's like it's not it's not like I'm being British. Like it's just I feel like mom is like it just comes out of your mouth easier. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Tell my son, you need to call me mum now. Yeah, I mean you're European. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, Belgium. Yeah, you're drinking your drinking your bowl of milk for breakfast. Thank you, mummy. Uh, so you spent a lot of years then in Vancouver in that comedy scene. When when did you start thinking you wanted to move out of Canada? Well, I've always wanted to live in America. Even okay. before I started stand-up, I kind of pictured myself in New York. And it's I didn't really realize how difficult of a path it would be. Like, I kind of pictured it, like, in the movies and stuff. You know, you see someone living in a town, and then, you know, they graduate high school, and they're like, I'm going to move to the big city. I'm just going to go to New York. But Canadians can't do that unless you're, like, going to school or you have a specific job or something. And so it's been kind of in the back of my mind for my whole comedy career because... Once in a while, a Canadian will move to America just based on comedy, and there used to be some legal loopholes that I will not divulge, <laughs> but there used to be some kind of sneakier ways for, for Canadians to do it, Yeah. but I think I think that got closed. So I think as soon as I started getting um, like national level success, I realized that I would be eligible to apply for the O-1 visa, which is the exceptional person's visa. Uh-huh. And it's very embarrassing because you have to ask all of your favorite comics to write you a letter that says that you're exceptional and that you're going to be an asset to America and that you're the best comic they've ever seen and like these are crazy letters. 
and it's like it's all favors like it's all it's all big American comics that I've opened for like once or twice that I'm very like shy around uh-huh. and I have to you know text them or email them and be like hey is it okay if I write a letter on your behalf saying that I'm the best comedian you've ever seen and they're like what and I'm like it's for the law it's it's not for me I just uh, it's so embarrassing <laughs> Now your credit, you can say so and so said I'm the best comic. I know. I swear to them, I was like nobody will ever see this letter. It's just between us and the U.S. government. (laughs) So uh, I'd heard about this like a person of exceptional talent. Yes, it's Uh, humiliating to apply for (laughs) because it's also like if it comes back and they're like you're not exceptional, we we have all these letters from people saying you are, and then we watched a five minutes ad and we're like too slow paced. Maybe pick it up a little. Canadian society yeah. of America gets winded. Well, in my head, I was like, what if I get an immigration officer that doesn't, like, get me? <laughs> you know, like the in-home visits, do they come and watch, you know, a yeah. set and to see what's... They come and we have some chit-chat and they're like, if you don't have some anecdotes, you're all right off the top. I don't think you're going to make it here. <laughs> I assume you want to keep the names of the people that you approached private. I'm trying to get a sense for like, uh, can you can you give us a teaser about uh, anyone that, that you you asked? I mean, I asked kind of most of the like. I'll just why don't I tell you some of the people I've opened for? Okay. <laughs> so I've you know Nikki Glaser and Reggie Watts and Nick Thune and Moshe Kasher. Like those are all people that yeah. have come up to Canada to do mostly just for laughs and I've been part of the Canadian element of the just for laughs festivals many times yeah. and often um, I often have been slotted in just to open for them just sort of based on my good graces with just for laughs mm-hmm. like not based on any comedy recommendations and then I've gotten along with people and you know we have yeah. a coffee or whatever and um, yeah, and, and then and then now that I've I've come to America, I have like the thing is when you when you meet somebody famous or somebody that you really like or you're a big fan of, and you meet, you're like this was an impactful meeting, and we're best friends, and they love me as much as I love them. Uh-huh. And then in my head, I was like, okay, when I move to America, I have all these best friends, and they're amazing. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, they they have you know families and children yeah. and lives and and real friends that they've met more than once. <laughs> so it's a bit of a rude awakening. <laughs> Uh, how did you celebrate the day that you got your official, okay, you are exceptional, we'll take you? Oh, I think I cried. I was really relieved because it took a really long time as well, and I'm really bad with paperwork. I got diagnosed with ADHD, which I know everybody has, but, like, paperwork is, like, for me, the, the it's really, really challenging to yeah. get, and it was, like, a lot to get done. And it was a lot on my end to get done, too. Like, my, my lawyer did a lot, but it's a lot is left up to you as an individual and so basically the whole pandemic I was just like white knuckling through like so much paperwork and it's already depressing and you can't go out and do shows and I was like I'm writing all these letters about how amazing I haven't done a set in a year (laughs) it just like it felt like a weird felt like a real real low in my life and it was like very frustrating too because right at the beginning of the pandemic was when I won the Juno which in Canada is a big deal and usually you could tour a lot and get a lot of like money just from the you know people want to have you on because you just won the Juno and and do a lot of press and do all this stuff and and um it was really like right as the pandemic started in fact I was like I was in line to board my flight to go to the Juno Awards and I got a text from one of the producers that said don't get on the plane and I was like was there a bomb I love this like dramatic text right (laughs) And I was like, why not? And she was like, the Junos are going to be canceled. It hasn't been announced yet, but I wanted to tell you because I knew you were flying in today, so I thought I might be able to catch you. And so I had to go up to the front desk, lining up with everyone that's getting on the plane, being like, I'm actually not going to get on this plane. And the lady was like, okay, like, thanks for waiting in line. And I was like, no, I need to get my luggage off. And she was like, okay, what does your luggage look like? I was like, it's plain black. There's no features. <laughs> just just go find the black bag that's mine. Oh, <laughs> that's full of my dreams. <laughs> and, yeah, so I got my bag and I went back. And then that's when the whole country shut down. It was right at that moment. And I still haven't really, I felt like I still haven't really been able to reap my Juno <laughs> reward. I mean, it's too late now. There's been winners since me. <laughs> like, I'm not even, it's not even important anymore. And so, so that happened, and then I was just sitting at home, not, you know, not 
enjoying this little bit of mo- momentum that in showbiz, like, you work 10 years to get a bit of momentum mm-hmm. and then just came to a screeching halt and I was just sitting at home, working on this visa, writing these letters, not doing sets, having my ADHD, <laughs> and then finally the pandemic starts coming to an end. We apply for the visa and then it comes in and... It just was, it couldn't have been a bigger relief. Like, it was really a light at the end of the tunnel. The advantage that you had to persevere through that was that you've, you've known you wanted to do this since you were 15. Yeah. So nothing was going to stop you. But also, I've sunk so much of my life into it that I, I'm kind of trapped now. Like, it would be so random to go apply for a job. And they're like, so you've never had a job? I'm like, that's right. This would be my first. <laughs> So, you know, we'll see. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often, does it? <laughs> mm. Like, never in your life have you had a job? Did your parents have money? I'm like, no, actually, not at all. You'd be shocked <laughs> how little money they have. <laughs> like, not even the fast food gig? No. I, no, no. I, the thing is, I worked, I worked at Starbucks for okay. many years. I worked, like, I worked a lot of minimum wage okay. jobs. Right. But, but it's, I feel that that's random. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I've had no, no other... Yeah no other um, things that I was building towards. Yeah. Like, I think usually if you're working at Starbucks for forever, it's because you have a side hustle or yeah. <laughs> try to go back to school or something. <laughs> Since you had moved from the Ottawa area to Vancouver, mm-hmm. you already had a skill set to be able to go into a new comedy scene and feel your way around and figure out how to, you know, make your way. Yeah. How did that feel going Vancouver to L.A.? I mean, it's just—it's still all fresh. Yeah, yeah. I've, I mean, yeah. I've only been there for a couple months, and I've been mostly on the road. So I'm still sort of doing—I'm still trying to make friends and yeah. figure out which my what my grocery store is going to be. <laughs> um, but it—it is—it is totally the same feeling of like being kind of the new kid, and it is—it is kind of like there's there's extra there's extra elements now because in in stand up and also in all. Um, all artists communities and probably just all business like if someone is new and they're getting stuff that's not like people are not happy about that (laughs) like I think people are mostly like want something for themselves or for their friends that they started with and came up with and so um, I feel like there's maybe a little bit of like because nobody knows me I've you know grown fully in obscurity in Canada Mm -hmm. and so I think there's a possibility that people are seeing my name on stuff and are thinking like the, who is she? Who is she? Yeah, yeah, who is she, basically? And um, I'm just trying to show that I've been doing stand-up for a long time, and I'm a real, I'm a real comic. Because <laughs> I am young, too, so there's a possibility people think I'm an industry plant coming in. <laughs> and then also there's a you know, likelihood that I'm not on anybody's mind as well. So there's, these are all things in there. But I'm just I'm going around, I'm trying to make friends. I'm trying to make girlfriends specifically because I feel like men are very available. Like not not for like I have a boyfriend, like not for like dating yeah. and stuff, but whenever I ask a male comic to hang out, they're like, Yeah, I can do it like like any day of the week at any time and I'm like, Okay, great And then I, I find women that I'm trying to hang out with are like well, I have my business meeting during the day, and then I have this at night, and then I have a show, and then it's like women just work work a lot harder in this industry, so yeah. they're a lot busier. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so important to have girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I'm making a couple of girlfriends. I made a friend. I made a friend this week. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> That's why I do festivals to make one friend. <laughs> it's always my goal. <laughs> Uh, you said you were on the road a lot. Yes. Is, uh, your own tour or supporting? Yeah, yeah, my own. Awesome. I'm headlining all over America. Nice. I saw you were coming back in May. Um, yeah, I was supposed to do headline Cap City, but it's still under construction, yeah. so we're finding another date for that. But I'm headlining all over America, which is like truly living my dream because it took me a really long time to get moved up to headliner in Canada because everyone thought of me as so young, yeah. and I've been doing comedy for just as long as a lot of the, my male counterparts that were moved up to headliner pretty yeah. quickly because a lot of comedy club owners and bookers choose based off of their own comedy taste and sensibility, which makes sense, but it's, you know, they're mostly choosing other men their age that are talking about their wife and their kids or whatever, and so I was just really not, um, really, 
invested in or taken a chance on, I felt. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I, you guys call it middles here, or features? Features. Features, yeah. yeah. So I was like, I was co-middling, like co-featuring for years. Like I had a record for the most co-feature, like not even full. Like I was doing 12 minutes. I couldn't get them from to move me up from 12 minutes sets to 20 minutes sets. And the thing is like, whether or not I was ready, I was, but whether or not I was ready, It's like you have to move <laughs> comics up before they're ready so that they can get used to doing that longer amount of time. And I, I a lot of women comics, I, I, I think, do not get invested in in the same way that, that men will be given an opportunity before they're ready. And so I was just really frustrated doing all these co-middles for so long. And then I finally moved up to middle. And then at, to a point where I had been doing comedy for 10 years, And I was trying to record an album, and I approached my home club, and I was like, I want to record an album, like, please let me <laughs> um, headline a weekend so I can record an album. And they just basically refused, and I said, are we ever, am I ever going to headline? And in so many words, they said no. Wow. And so that's... Your home club. My home club that I really, that had, for the most part, invested in me, would yeah. not move it up at all. And um, so finally I did have to, I switched clubs. I went to a different club and I, I said, I'll come over to this club if, if I can headline. And then they right away were like, of course you can headline. And I was like, I have wasted so many years of my life. Yeah. And so coming here and then headlining right away really like means a lot to yeah. me because it was so frustrating for so long. And in my head, I kind of thought that it might happen again. Like I thought I might come here and because nobody knew me, I would have to just kind of do opening sets and comb it all again for 10 years yeah. <laughs> but yeah so it's just a huge relief that I'm yeah. that I'm headline and I'm getting like really comfortable doing long sets now and it feels really fun it feels really natural to me and um, I wish it had maybe started sooner but I'm over <laughs> it I'm bitter about it as you can hear I'm still talking about it <laughs> well and you started young so you've got a really long future yeah so. <laughs> um Okay, so if you're touring a lot, you're not figuring out which club is going to be your home club in L.A. Well, the improv has been putting me up a lot, okay. and I really like it there, and it's close to my house, too. Oh, nice. And I haven't started doing those scooters yet, oh. but I think that it's like a perfect distance to scooter. It's because yeah. it's like seven minutes in the car, uh-huh. or it's like a 20-minute walk, but I think it's like a 10-minute yeah. scooter. And I, you know, my hair will be wind blown. Like I, I really think it's like that was like one of the things that I really loved about my first home club, the one that would not headline me, but still uh-huh. gave me like tons of sets, and I really like really became the comic I am today at this club in Vancouver, which is now closed. But you know, probably because they wouldn't headline me. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like a really nice 10-15 minute walk from my place in Vancouver, uh-huh. and it was I just have such good memories of like walking to the club and thinking about my set, and then leaving the club and like listening to my set on my phone and like I feel like that's when I get most of my my writing done because I'm not really a sit down and write kind of comic I, I really work on stage and so I really like that time leading up to a show and, and after a show to that's that's when all my ideas come and when I figure stuff out and so I think um, with the improv it's like a perfect distance for me to, to do that again and LA is a very driving city so I kind of, and it's like I don't really feel the same way if I'm in the car thing I feel like I feel like walking forward makes my brain move forward uh-huh. and so uh, I guess scootering won't work then but still I'll, I'm figuring it out <laughs> <laughs> and with Did you debate L.A. versus New York as your... Yeah, I did. I, I spent some time in New York, and I spent some time in L.A. before I decided. Yeah. But I just, every time I left New York, I was so tired. Mm. And every time I left L.A., I felt refreshed. And I think it is sort of a, a choice because the reason you're tired is because you're doing so many shows and you're working and you're potentially growing more. Yeah. And then if you're leaving refreshed, you know, maybe you're not doing enough. But... Um, I just kind of wanted to I'm a west coast girl too like Vancouver is like it doesn't snow yeah. and I moved to Vancouver for a lot of the reasons because it didn't snow and I, I like good weather yeah. and so I do really like New York but I think it's um, and I was just there I was there like a week ago mm-hmm. doing some shows but I don't want to I don't want to live my life exhausted <laughs> yeah nobody does yeah no one does. <laughs> but, I, but like if I get a job there or something I'll be thrilled to move there I just like I have a nice big apartment in LA and I you know it's sunny and 
making my making one friend once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, new friend! Yay. <laughs> um, what was it that that motivated you to record the album uh, and then uh, take your your special? So for my album, I had been doing comedy for ten years, and it was more. I thought a good angle to trick this club into headlining me, um, which did not work. But I was like, okay, well, I already told everyone I'm doing an album, so now I have to do it. And it was sort of a just a collection of the first ten years of of my stand up. And there's no, you know, the best way to sort of retire that material, I think, is to record it because you can kind of lean on it forever. And I didn't want to be one of those comics that does the same act for hundred years. So I recorded it to sort of retire it. And then my special was like they were putting on just for laughs was was producing i think seven specials that festival and they asked me to do it and it was kind of right at the end of the pandemic so i was like feeling very rusty and i was very nervous i had about a month to like get back into the swing of things and so it's a kind of interesting moment in time this that it was recorded in because i was like feeling really rusty but it's also so excited and i had all of this like baggage from here like being at home and yeah. writing these embarrassing letters and like <laughs> you can see on my face you're like this is, she wrote a letter that was humiliating this year <laughs> but I'm really excited for it to come out it's like a, I think it's 35 minutes it's just it was supposed to be half hours but you know, I did too much because I was over eager <laughs> and I, I think it's supposed to come out this spring the first one has already come out and they're, they're doing one a month starting a month or two ago so they gotta put it out now. That's, yeah. you know, clock's ticking. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's probably the edgiest, edgiest set that I've put out. Oh. And I'm a pretty dark comic. Like, I don't really swear, but I cover very dark and yeah. sometimes political things. And so I am feeling a little bit nervous about it coming out, but it only airs in Canada. So if I get canceled in Canada, like, don't tell anyone. <laughs> no one will <laughs> What do they call it when they re- is it repatriation? They might repatriate you so that they can you know, oh like claim me back yeah just, <laughs> so they can say this is too dark yeah when I go home for Canadian Thanksgiving oh, talk me <laughs> when is American Thanksgiving uh, third Thursday of November that's November okay you'll hear you'll you'll start seeing the the. Uh, Decorations in August for it. Oh yeah, so of course. You got plenty of time. To yeah. <laughs> uh, do, do you do you have enough experience now to know like uh, I really like American audiences versus I really like Canadian audiences? Yeah, I, I really like American audiences. Like I'm very fascinated by Americans and like like growing up, I was like very. I've always been very politically engaged. Like when I was in high school, I worked on Parliament, like which is our White House, but it's a different different system, obviously. But I was working at Parliament because I was really interested in American politics because it's such a spectacle and because it's not my country, it's not my people. Like when stuff goes bad, you know, I don't have the same like a glaze of. I don't have the same like ties to it, so I feel like I can just enjoy it as like reality TV, yeah. as opposed to a reflection of the nation I was born in. <laughs> and so, yeah, I've always really liked American politics, which is a somewhat reflection of Americans. And so I've always been really interested in it. And I like it getting to know American sensibilities too, because there's like some things Americans are very sensitive about, but in general, Americans are much less sensitive than Canadians. Hmm. In, in a comedy con- that I yeah. feel that I've yeah. noticed but um, I really like it I really like doing stuff here and Americans are like I just find Americans to be very extroverted and so if, if a crowd really likes you they'll be really loud and they'll follow you on social media afterwards and they'll come up to you afterwards and like They'll, they'll go out of their way to tell you that they like you. Yeah. Whereas, like, if I feel like if Canadians like you, they just, they won't even laugh necessarily. They'll just, they'll just like you quietly to themselves and then they'll go home. <laughs> <laughs> and so I feel very encouraged by that. And then, you know, on the flip side, if they don't like you, like, also you'll hear about it. Yeah. Americans love, to, you know, freedom yes. of speech or whatever. So they'll let you know either way. <laughs> whatever that thing is. Yeah, but it's nice. It's very open. I feel like it's, yeah. a, a, it's like a good... Um, comparison because I'm from a family that really like 
doesn't talk about stuff. Like, we have a great relationship, but, like, stuff doesn't get brought up. It's very, like, my grandpa was British, so it's a very, like, Britishy sensibility. It's a lot of just knowing glances and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And my boyfriend has this, like, loud Italian family, and they're always yelling, like, someone will slight someone else and immediately gets brought up and then everyone gets involved and like I feel like Canada is my family and America is my boyfriend's family and I love it because it's so open and expressive and like aggressive and it's like there's just a lot going on it's like very it's very entertaining to me yeah what's your favorite thing about being a performer about being a performer well about being a stand-up performer specifically I think when something bad happens to me in my life it's it's kind of cushioned by the fact that I can write a bit about it mm. and people will probably, everyone's had bad stuff happen yeah. to them, so it's it's helpful to talk about it. It's helpful for me to yeah. work through stuff because I never learned how to talk about my feelings because my family. And then it's helpful for the audience because people have lived through hard stuff and it's easier to work through your own stuff if somebody else is talking about it and doing analogies and doing the work on it. Yeah. So I think the biggest advantage to being a stand-up performer is when something bad happens to you, it, it, there's an immediate repercussion of, of good things. Yeah. And on the flip side, mm-hmm. is there anything you don't like yes, about being a performer? Definitely. Like, kind of on the same note, when there's something difficult to talk about, if you're having a bad day, it's not fun to hear about because you have all these extra, like, like people pick up on so much subconscious body language and micro facial expressions and all this stuff. So if you're feeling weird and then you're talking about something heavy on top of that, it's going to, it's going to be extra draining on you and it's going to be extra uncomfortable for people watching. And yeah, basically if it's like, if you're in a bad mood or you're going through something, you can't really work properly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's like an all encompassing thing. Like, you know, if you go through an insane breakup or something like that, like, or you know a parent dies or like something horrible that's not it's not like oh great I can't wait to go and bond with the audience over this it's like you're trying to you're trying to heal and then you can't really talk about heavy stuff on stage because it'll be obvious that there's this weird extra thing happening so I think it's the same I think it's I think it's basically just that you're really wearing your heart on your sleeve and you're very you're very vulnerable as a performer which can be a strength or a weakness depending on your current mental state yeah when you were talking about that as, as an example, like my immediate reaction was, Tig Notaro did it. Totally, totally. So, you know, yeah. You're again. You're still young. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe when you know, when well, yeah, you like can it, approach you know bad things and and give it on stage, and it's it actually. Tig Notaro is also a genius. Like that's not just for all performers. It's like yeah. just do what Tig Notaro did. It's like I would love to, but. <laughs> I mean, we don't all take wish everybody to go through what Tig had to go through in order to... No, but Tig is someone that, like, you know, wouldn't have to ask people to write exceptional letters. People would just already write it. <laughs> <laughs> They'd already yeah. be written. It wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> you should ask the barkeep mm-hmm. for the letter. And <laughs> I'll say it. Yeah. Um, I had a really hard time finding your podcast. I don't know if it's my app. I wanted to listen to a couple of episodes. Yeah. Could not do it. My player won't. You're still recording your podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, took a, I took a break while I was moving, basically, which ended up extending into a couple months. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're coming back out again, and now I have American guests. So mm-hmm. we'll call it season two. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's called Obsessed with Sophie Bottle. Yeah. So it should be it should be on everything. Okay. But I took a break from recording them for a little while just because a lot of balls in the air. Yeah. But I really love doing it. And I think that it's really nice to put out a podcast. I know everybody makes fun of stand-ups because everybody has a podcast. <laughs> but I think it is really nice because we're not musicians. We can't put out a single or sample or whatever all the time. Like We have a limited amount of good material. And putting out a podcast is a way to put out your comedy on a regular basis at just a different pace. So, you know, you're having stories, you're having anecdotes from your week. If someone's a fan of your stand-up, they'll end a fan of podcasts. Like, they'll enjoy that. Right. Whereas you can't, it's not sustainable to put out your A material on Instagram every day and get, you know. Yeah. Well, we're going to start wrapping up. Is there anything well actually before we do that because I can't listen and the very first one I'm gonna listen to is the vinegar one <laughs> who, do you <laughs> remember is, who was that one? I don't vinegar. I don't um, 
What is the craziest topic that somebody has, has been obsessed over? So my friend Abdul did revenge. And he's like a very kind, like one of the sweetest people I've ever met. And so the fact that he picked revenge, I just got a real kick out of it. But my other friend Drew did eggs like and it's so funny because like I give comics so much time like I'm like do you want to do my podcast uh-huh. and they're like sure and I'm like okay it's called Obsessed we talk about stuff we're obsessed with do you have an obsession and they're like yes and then you know we meet up and I'm like do you have an obsession before we start and they're like what like they're blindsided every time and I'm like something you're obsessed with and they're like they're like yeah I got something and I'm like do you want to take a minute and they're like just hit record hurry hurry and I'm like okay and then we turn it on and he's like I love eggs and I'm like oh we can't talk about that for two hours (laughs) but I love comics it's just I've I've noticed always during festivals you're always running into other comics right and sometimes in in life you also run into other comics and the thing that I love the most about it is, like, they're always in the middle of something. Whereas if you run into a regular friend, they're just going to the store yeah. or something. But if you run into a comic, they're always, like, trying to get something open. And they just were at a store and they didn't have the belt that they wanted. And, like, they're always, like, <laughs> deep in the middle of chaos. <laughs> and I found that all this week is so fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want people to know about you? No, I don't think so. I wanted to plug my podcast, but we've done that yeah. in a way. <laughs> and we'll do another final plugs at the end. So. Yeah, yeah. But this has been a really fun podcast. Thank you so much for having me <laughs> of course, on. Of course. All right. So I'm going to ask you my closing question. Wonderful. Which is mm-hmm. one word to describe your future. Ooh. I can't say comedy again, obviously. I'll think of something else. It's open-ended. Do what you want. Money. <laughs> <laughs> say money. Trying to get some U.S. dollars in my pocket. <laughs> That makes sense. Well, if you're touring at the clubs, you're you're on your way. So yeah, I'm I'm exciting. basically breaking even, so nice. <laughs> not nice. to flex. <laughs> <laughs> flex, flex. Mm. Well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham presents Sophie Buttle. Tell us where we can find you on social media and promote yes. your projects. I'm uh, Sophie Buds on Instagram, which people always think is a weed thing, but my last name is Buttle. Oh. It's just short form for Buttle. <laughs> Um, Sophie Buttle on Twitter and Obsessed with Sophie Buttle podcast. Um, yeah, that's, I'm there. And if you're Canadian, you'll get to watch her special yes. this spring. Yeah. Maybe Crave will bring it here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Sophie got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Way and Presents Sophie Buttle. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Valerie.